want to welcome you this morning to our service, those that are here in our celebration service, also those that are worshiping over in our summit service, and then all those that are still worshiping in their homes, we're glad that you are joining us today. If you have your Bible, turn with me to John chapter 17. And while you're turning there, I want to ask a question, how can we know what is most important to a person? How can we know what someone's highest priorities are? How can you know what your highest priorities are? Well, the simple answer to the question is that you can look to the content of their prayers. Because whatever is important to us, we pray about that. If you're not praying about it, it's not really important to you. The content of your prayers tell you, tell us something about your heart, your priorities in this life. Our prayers, the content of our prayers, tells us an important truth. And so, what is it that is most important to Jesus? What, what, what are the things that are, are the highest priorities of heaven? Well, we can determine that by looking at Jesus' prayers. And when we come to John chapter 17, we find the longest prayer of Jesus recorded in Scripture. 26 verses, it's the entire 17th chapter. Here we see Jesus talking to his father. This is a very critical time in his life, just, just one day before he's going to be crucified. And we see, we're privileged enough to see this conversation that he has with his father. And by looking at this conversation, by studying this prayer, we can learn something about the heart and mind of Christ. We can learn what is the most important thing to the Lord. And so these next few weeks, I want to study this prayer uh, together. Let me give you some facts before we just jump in this morning. First of all, many theologians call this the holy of holies of sacred scripture. Now, what do they mean by that? Well, they mean really just what we've said. When we study this prayer, John chapter 17, it allows us to really look behind the curtain and see something of the relationship between the Son and the Father. So it's the holy of holies of Christian scripture because it gives us that glimpse of their relationship. Another important thing to know is that this is the true Lord's Prayer. You know, sometimes when we speak of the Lord's Prayer, we, we're talking about a prayer that's recorded in Matthew chapter 6 that says, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. You, you know that prayer. And so people through the years have called that the Lord's Prayer, but that's not really the Lord's Prayer. In fact, it cannot be the Lord's Prayer because part of that prayer that you read in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus would never pray. Because right in the middle of that prayer, it says, forgive my sins as I forgive the sins of those who have offended me. Jesus had no sins. He could not have prayed that prayer. That is not the Lord's prayer in Matthew chapter 6. That is the model prayer. It, it gives us some guidelines. It tells us how to pray. But the true Lord's prayer right here in John chapter 17. As I said a moment ago, this is... This is the night before Christ was crucified. And Jesus knew what was coming. He knew what the next day was going to hold. And so these are the words that Jesus prayed the night before he died. Doesn't that just add significance to this? If you knew for certain that you were going to die tomorrow, what would you pray today? 
That would be an interesting prayer, right? It would say something important about who you are. This is the last prayer, or really the prayer on the last night before Christ, uh, before Christ dies. So I want to encourage you, it'll take us five, six, seven weeks, I'm not sure, take us several weeks to work through this prayer, the 26 verses, but I want to encourage you just to take some time over these weeks and read through John chapter 17. It's, it's difficult really to understand your first time through, I'll tell you, it's, it's complex, but the more you read it, you get two, three, four times through it, you're going to begin to see how the pieces uh, uh, are, are connected with one another, and this will be, I, I think for you, one of the greatest chapters of, of Scripture in, in all the Bible. So here's what I want to do today. We'll focus just on verse 1. Now in future weeks, if the Lord allows, we'll cover a lot more verses each week, but this, this morning, just verse 1. So look with me. It says, Jesus spoke these things, looked up to heaven, and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so that the son may glorify you. Now, we're not going to get so much into the content of the prayer this week. We'll do that next week. But I want you to see three surprising things about this prayer that are highlighted just in that very first verse. Three things, surprising things, surprising to me, I think they'll be surprising to you, that really introduce this whole chapter and we can talk today about prayer. What's interesting is this prayer of Jesus, we'll talk about prayer today, but the prayer is not really about prayer. And so though we're, we're learning the prayer of Jesus, the Lord's Prayer, this is probably the last time in the series we'll actually talk about prayer, but I want to begin there because that's, that's perhaps the most uh, valuable way to introduce this. What are the three surprises we see right here in verse 1? Surprise number one, Jesus prayed. Jesus prayed. Now, maybe that doesn't surprise you because you've read the prayers of Jesus and, and we know that the Gospels say throughout the Gospels that Jesus prayed often. And, and praying is just something that Christians do. People that follow the Lord, they pray. So how could it be surprising, Pastor? How could you say it surprises you that Jesus prays? Well, it surprises me because why would Jesus pray? If we think of prayer as simply our opportunity to bring our wish list to God and say, God, do this and do that and fix this and heal that and change this. If we see prayers as just us bringing our wish list to God, then Jesus would have no need to pray, right? Jesus is God. Jesus is the one who created the universe. Jesus the one, is the one who holds everything together by his power. And I know Jesus is in the flesh, and so somebody might say, well, the flesh limits Jesus, but you would be wrong. Jesus is still God, even in the flesh. He has not set aside his power. He has not set aside his divinity. Jesus is God. And though he is God in the flesh, he is still God and can do anything. So there's not something that Jesus needs to ask for. It's not something that Jesus needs the Father to fix because Jesus can't fix it. There's not something that Jesus is short of and he needs the Father to help him out. That can't be why Jesus is praying. So in that sense, it surprises me that Jesus prays. But you and I know that prayer is about more than just you know rubbing the lamp and and getting the genie to grant us three wishes, prayer is much more than that. 
For instance, prayer is about praising and honoring the Father, right? We pray. One of the purposes of that prayer is just to tell God how great he is, to talk about his beauty and his, and his mercy and his, and his grace and his power and his majesty and his omnipotence. One, one purpose of prayer, not just to ask God for something, but to praise and to worship, to adore God. So that's a purpose of prayer, and that would fit what Jesus desired to do. Another purpose of prayer is just, it's just to enjoy our relationship with God. We have to understand that God's not just the one we go to. He's not just some divine vending machine that we seek to get some blessing from. No, we can have a relationship with God. And so one of the reasons we pray is to enjoy that relationship. I have a relationship with my wife, obviously. But my relationship with her is not just about what she can do for me. When I talk to her, it's not just about will you do this and will you do that and can you do this and can you do that. When I talk to my wife, I share my, my heart and my dreams and my fears. It's a, it's a relationship. So one of the reasons we pray, one of the reasons Jesus prayed, one of the reasons we pray is just, it's just to enjoy the relationship. Another reason we pray is for comfort and peace. We know that Jesus is going through a very stressful time. Uh, this prayer most likely was prayed after the Last Supper. If you sort of know the, uh, the, the, the story of what happened in these days, it would have been after the Last Supper, but before Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane. We know in the Garden of Gethsemane that Jesus was under such stress, such strain, that he sweat great drops of blood. And he prayed over and over, Father, if there's any way, take this cup from me. Jesus is under incredible strain. Perhaps the primary reason he prays here is just to experience the comfort and the assurance and the peace of the Lord. And one of my favorite verses about prayer is Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Listen to this. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, everything, through prayer and petition, which is prayer, with thanksgiving, which is prayer, present your requests to God, which is prayer, and what will happen? And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. One of the reasons we pray is just to have the comfort and the peace of God. Maybe that's why Jesus prayed. And one of the reasons we pray is just to, to identify with God. Christians pray. One of the most characteristic thing about Christians is that they pray. People who know and love and adore the Father, they pray. In fact, there are times in the, in the New Testament where the way Christians are identified and, and the way that they are recognized as different from people who are not Christians, who are not believers, is that the Christians pray. In fact, there is an incident in the book of Acts where the Lord is telling Ananias, a follower of Christ, uh, he's telling Ananias to go and see Paul. This is the Paul who, who wrote much of the New Testament, but at this point, Paul is simply known as the one who persecuted Christians. And so the Lord tells Ananias, go see Paul because he prays. Now, what does it mean? What, what is the Lord saying? He's saying, Ananias, it's okay. He's a believer. How do we know? Because he prays. Prayer is one of the most 
characteristic things about believers. Robert Murray Machine, he's a theologian of 100 years ago plus. Uh, he said something I read, I don't know, decades ago that stuck with me all these years. He said, what a man is alone on his knees before God, that he is and no more. Our prayer is so characteristic of who we are, whatever you are, at home, on your knees, when nobody is looking, that prayer life, that's who you are, and nothing more. You know, I've learned in a whole lot of years of preaching that to just make people feel guilty about not praying is not an effective motivator to get them to pray. So let me just pause here as we see the what is to me a surprise that Jesus prays and that it is a characteristic thing of all Christians. And let me share some, let me share some, some, some helps so that our, our prayer lives can be better. Let, let me just prime the pump, if you will. Let me remove some, some friction so, so that all of us could be better prayers. Can I do that? So there are several reasons that people often cite for why they don't pray more than they do. And let me go through these. Uh, the first one, the one I hear most often, is simply, I'm too busy. I'm just too busy. Pastor, you don't know all the things that go on in my life and all the things that go on in the morning and the evening. I'm just too busy to pray. Well, of course that's not true, right? We have time to do the things that are most important to us. We find the time to do things that are most important to us. And prayer is such a valuable thing, even if we were as busy as we, as we say that we are, we should still pray. How many people are too busy to fuel up their cars? Now just think about that for a moment. What if you just decided you were too busy and you weren't gonna stop and take the five minutes that's required to put gasoline in your car, you're just too busy, you're not gonna do that anymore. Now would that be a good way to save time? No, because you're going to get halfway between here and Houston. You're going to run out of gas. It's going to take you all day to get somebody to go down there and get you some gas. Mark will do it, but he drives slow, so it's going to take you a long time. Listen, you don't save time by not filling up your car with gas. You lose time. Prayers never, never cost us time. Prayer uh, adds, adds value to, to our lives. But let me tell you what to do. If, if you feel that you just don't have enough time to pray, my counsel, and I believe the counsel of Scripture, is just start somewhere. Don't make a commitment today that you're going to pray an hour a day every day of the week for the rest of your life. That's not a good place to start. That commitment probably won't last three days. Don't start there. The Lord may take you there at some point in your life, and if he does, that's fine. But that's not the place to start. Would you start by just saying at least once a day, even if it's only for a minute, at least once a day I'm going to pray. So I, I would suggest you just start with the Lord's Prayer. We talked about that a moment ago. And the Lord's Prayer was really not given to us to be something we memorize and just recite. But if you're struggling to get going, that's probably a good thing to do. And so wake up in the morning, take a minute, and, and pray the Lord's Prayer. Matthew chapter 6, if you want to write that down. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. One minute. Now, 
pray that tomorrow, and then the next day pray it again, but expand upon it just a little bit. Our Father who art in heaven. And then just pause. Father, I know that you're in heaven. And one day, I want to be in heaven. I pray that you help me today have a desire to be in heaven with you one day. And that'll change how I live. And so I've just expanded the prayer a little bit. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Or holy is your name. So say that. Hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. Father, you are holy. And you're pure. And you're righteous. And I praise you for that. And then the next line, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Father in heaven, I pray that your will will be done. I pray that I will know what your will is, that I'll know what I ought to do. And I pray that I will be obedient to it and you'll give me the strength to do it more consistently. And see, you just start off with something very simple. The way to get this done is to start. It's not to say for week after week after week, I just don't have time, but start somewhere and see that grow and see that expand. So reason number one people cite for not praying is I'm too busy. Another reason that people will cite is that they don't know how to pray well. I hear people say this, Pastor, I would pray more if I knew how to pray. Uh, But you wouldn't tell somebody that uh, you want to play the piano, but you're not going to take piano lessons because you're not very good at the piano. (laughs) The whole point of taking lessons is so that you can get good at piano. Listen, none of us are good at prayer when we start. None of us who don't pray much are very good at prayer. Prayer is something that we learn. And the way you learn to pray is to pray. You can't learn it from a sermon. You can't learn it from a book. Those can be helpful perhaps. But the people who know how to pray know how to pray because they have prayed. Just start praying. Start with the Lord's Supper. I mean, the Model prayer, as I, as I said a moment ago. Or, or, or maybe just read the 23rd Psalm. If you need some help, if you need, you need something to get you going, just turn to the book of Psalms. But you start and, and be okay with not being good at prayer and be consistent, even if it's brief, and see that expand over time, and you'll get good at prayer. The next reason that people cite for not praying more is that they're just too ashamed, they're too embarrassed, And they feel too guilty uh, to to pray. And I think this is a a natural feeling. When we sin, we feel that conviction. And it feels like God's a a million miles away. And oftentimes we think, well, I can't can't pray today because of what I did yesterday. I can't pray this week. I've got to give it some time. I've got to sort of serve my sentence. And eventually I'll be able to go back to the Lord. And I'll I'll be able to pray again. But I just feel so much, Pastor, so much condemnation. I just can't pray. I'm I'm ashamed. Well, listen, it's natural to feel that way. But the truth is, the good news is, the Bible says that there's no condemnation for those who are children of God. Because, yes, you've sinned. And it is true you're not worthy to go before the Lord. But it's not your worthiness that counts. It's the worthiness of Christ. The reason we can go before the Lord is not because we've lived well, but because Christ has lived well. And we are in Christ. One of my favorite verses, uh, again, about prayer is Hebrews 4.16. says, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness. The throne of grace. This is talking about prayer. Let us come before the Lord, the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. We shouldn't 
stop praying because we're embarrassed or ashamed of our sin, we should come boldly before the throne of grace because of the work of Christ. That's what it means to pray in the name of Jesus. So many times uh, people think that to say in Jesus' name, that's just something that we tack on to the end of prayer, like it's the secret code word that makes God hear. But, but no, to pray in Jesus' name, whether you say those words or not, means that you approach God not based on your merit, but based on his merit. You come in his name. So let me just tell you a story. This is a made-up story. This is not what heaven is like, but I, I think it'll illustrate the point. Imagine that you are in heaven, and you want to go see the Father, and he is sitting in his throne room in some great hall. And on the end of this great hall, there are these big doors and they're closed. Now this isn't what heaven is really like, but imagine this. And so you want to go in and see the father. You want to go and see the Lord. So you walk up to these closed doors and you start to open them and a guard pops up and, and stops you. And he says, who do you think you are? I know some of the things you've done. You don't belong in there. And you're embarrassed and ashamed because you know that you don't belong in there. But then you feel a hand on your shoulder and you look back and there's Jesus. And it dawns on you. And you look to the guard and you say, listen, I'm with him. And then maybe the guard persists and he says, have you followed all of the commandments? Have you lived the holy life to be worthy to come before the Father? And you say, no, but he has done it for me. And then the guard might say, well, then what about your sins? If you've not lived a holy life, that means there's sin in your life. Have you paid the price, the penalty, the judgment for the sin that's in your life? And again, you say the same thing. No, but he has done it for me. And then maybe the guard pushes back one last time and he says, I'm sorry to tell you, but this room is for family members only. And then you get a big smile on your face and you say, that's good news because I have been adopted into the family of God. See, we can come boldly before the throne of grace. Don't stop praying because you've sinned. We need to pray. Jesus prayed, Jesus prayed often, we need to pray, we need to pray often, start somewhere, be consistent, don't be ashamed, come boldly before the throne of grace, let's be prayers. Now there's a second surprise I want you to see here, not only that Jesus prayed, but that Jesus prayed with his whole body. Jesus prayed with everything he had. Now this is surprising I think to us, because that's just not how we pray. How do we ordinarily pray? We bow our heads just slightly. We close our eyes and we think thoughts toward the Lord, right? That's the normal way we pray. How do you pray? How do I pray? Bow my head, close my eyes, think thoughts toward the Lord. That's, that's the way we pray. But look back at John 17, 1. It says, Jesus spoke these things. So this was not a silent prayer. In fact, if it were a silent prayer, we wouldn't know what he said. But he prays this uh, with, within 
within the hearing of the disciples. He prays aloud. Jesus spoke these things. He looked up to heaven, eyes open, head up, looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has, has come. So this is a, an entirely different posture and an entirely different approach to prayer. Doesn't it surprise us in some way that Jesus doesn't pray just like we pray? We pray so differently than him. He prays so differently than us. So what's the normal way? What's the, what's the regular way to pray? Well, I did some reading in the Bible this week. In Ephesians 3.14, it talks about the prayers of Paul, the apostle Paul. It says that Paul kneeled in prayer. Genesis 18.22 says that Abraham stood up before the Lord to pray. Uh, 1 Chronicles 17.16 says David came before the Lord and sat down and prayed aloud. 1 Kings 8.54 says Solomon knelt before the Lord. Acts 7.60 says Stephen knelt in prayer. Acts 9.40 says Peter knelt in prayer. Matthew 26.39 says that Jesus fell down on his face in prayer. In Ezra 9.5, it says that Ezra tore his clothes, knelt down, and spread up his arms in prayer. Elisha once prayed with his head between his knees, 1 Kings 18.42. What are the Psalms? How do the Psalms instruct us to pray? Psalm 95.6 says, come, let's worship and bow down. Let's kneel before the Lord our God and our maker. Uh, in fact, when you read the the phrase in the Old Testament, he worshiped. You see that a hundred times or more, he worshiped. That's what it says in our English Bibles. In the Hebrew, if it, were, if it were translated exactly, it wouldn't say he worshiped, it would say he prostrated himself. So every time you read he worshiped, what it really says is he fell down on his face and, and prayed. In the New Testament, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, Paul tells Timothy, the pastor of the church of Ephesus, to instruct the church on how to pray. And what does he say? Paul says, Timothy, tell the men when they pray to lift up their arms into the air. Lift up hands when you pray. How many times, here's a trivia question for you. How many times in the Bible do we see somebody praying with their head bowed and their eyes closed, silently thinking thoughts toward the Lord. The Bible's a big book, Genesis through Revelation, a lot of pages. How many times in the Bible do we see somebody pray like we pray? Zero. Nilch, none, not a single time. Now somebody may find one this week, and if you do, you know, well, I'll give you a prize. But, uh, but I've looked pretty hard, and I can't find any. And if you find one, you'll find the only one, right? I mean, I, I may be wrong by one or two. I don't think I am. But, but the, the general way people pray in the Bible is nothing like we pray. What about praying silently in the Bible? Do people pray silently in the Bible? Well, I, I went on a search this, this week. I found two, two times. In 1 Samuel 1.13, Hannah prays. She's moving her lips, but she's not making a sound. And in Nehemiah chapter two, verses four and five, when Nehemiah is before the king, it says that he prays in his heart. And again, you may find a third example, but best I can tell, those are the only two. Even if I'm wrong by, by a factor of 10, and there's 20 of them in the Bible, the general way that people pray in the Bible is they pray aloud. Psalm 142.1, 1, 
I cry aloud to the Lord. I plead aloud to the Lord for mercy. Now, what am I saying? First, there is no prayer posture prescribed in the Bible. If you want to stand on your head with your fingers in your nose and that's the way you want to pray, then pray. I'm just glad you're praying, right? And the Bible doesn't say you have to stand in a certain way or sit or kneel. It, it never gives a command about that. So there's no prescribed, there's no, there's no certain, you have to pray this way uh, ever described in the Bible. The second thing I want you to know is there's, there's no prohibition in the Bible against silent prayer. God can read your thoughts as well as he can hear your words. So it is okay to pray silently. But what I'm saying is this, the same thing the psalmist said in Psalm 119, 145, I call on the Lord with my whole heart. Listen, we're so casual about our prayers today. We, we, we don't bow, we don't kneel, we don't lift up our hands, we don't pause, we, we, we're quiet, we're silent, we're subtle, we are so casual. But the psalmist says, no, I, I pray with all my heart. Let me give you two lessons I think we learned from from all these examples of prayer in the Bible that look so different than the way we pray. First of all, don't be so casual about prayer that you fail to approach God with reverence and seriousness. It's okay to pray all of a sudden and there'll be times that you'll find yourself need to pray and you just need to, in your heart, like Nehemiah, you just need to pray. The Bible says to have an attitude of prayer that we should be praying all the time. Certainly those things are true. But don't let those things, as true as they are, as valuable as they are, replace the fact that there ought to be times in our lives, I believe times every day, where we get serious, where we're very reverent to the Lord, where we come before the Lord, whether we're kneeling or standing or laying prostrate, we come before the Lord serious about, about our prayers. You know, body language, when you're talking to somebody, body language counts I mean, it counts as much as our words sometimes. If I were to tell my wife, I love you, but I let my body language say something else, what if I said, listen, Donna, listen, I love you. Now, would that honor the Lord? I, I mean, honor my wife or the Lord, either one. Now, I said the right words, right? But the body language, what if, what if somebody... I'm sitting down, somebody walks up and they hand me an envelope, it's a gift, and I open it up, it's a check made out to me for a million dollars. And I look at, look at it, and I see what it is, I understand its value, I just fold it up, I just sit it down, thanks. Now, does that honor the giver of the gift? No, I said the right things, but my body language was different. So. Listen, I'm not saying you have to pray in a certain prescribed way, in a certain prescribed posture. You're not more spiritual or less spiritual if you use one posture and not another posture. I'm just saying body language counts and we need to come before the Lord with all of our heart. We need to say, I love you. We need to say thank you in a way that communicates with, with all of who we are, that we really love him, that we are really thankful. Look what Jesus does. It says, Jesus spoke these words. He looked up to heaven and he said, Father, and he, he, he voices his prayer. It's, it's with, his, with his whole body. I'm afraid our very casual approach to God in prayer has negatively influenced 
our relationship with God. So the second lesson we learned from this is we should not let prayers be so silent that they fizzle into distraction. Now you can pray silently, and I, I think most, most of my prayers, the majority of my prayers are silent prayers, and, and then the Bible never says that's wrong. In fact, there are at least two examples of people praying silently in the Bible. Silent is fine. But if your prayers start out as prayers and at some point turn into you just talking to yourself, and you don't even know where it changed from being praying to just talking to yourself, then you need to start praying aloud. If, if you pray and you can't tell where your prayer actually stopped because it just sort of fizzled out into nothing, then you need to pray aloud. See, I, I think this is, I, I think it would be so helpful to us, at least at times, for us to come very seriously, prostrate before the Lord, praying aloud, keeping our focus absolutely on him. Again, no right posture for prayer. Silent prayers are fine. But if we occasionally would come with, with our whole bodies to pray before the Lord, I think our, our prayer lives would be revitalized. And then surprise number three, Jesus prayed for himself. This surprises me because uh, you know, Jesus came to be a servant, right? Philippians chapter 2, he emptied himself to come and, and serve us, to bless us. But if you look at his prayer, Jesus spoke these things, looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. He's talking about his crucifixion. The hour has come, so glorify your son. That glorify me. He starts praying for himself so that the son may glorify you. So, Jesus prays for himself. Jesus prays that he personally, God, bless me, glorify me. Is that, is that how we should begin our prayers? Can I begin all of my prayers by saying, God, bless me. God, make me successful. Make me wealthy. Make me strong. Make me smart. Give me influence. Provide uh, a favor for me. Can, can we start by just praying for ourselves? That's what Jesus did. But I want you to notice two words in this verse that, that may change everything you know about prayer, may change your practice of prayer. The two most important words, I think, in this prayer so far are the words, so that. You see that? Look with me. Uh, chapter 17, verse 1. He says in the middle of the verse, glorify your son so that the son may glorify you. See, Jesus prayed that God would bless him, but he didn't stop there. He said, God, bless me, glorify me, so that I will be able to glorify you. He prays for a blessing, glorify me, through the crucifixion and the resurrection. That's what he's talking about specifically. Glorify me. I ask you, please, glorify me, but I'm asking for a purpose, so that. Glorify me, so that. Bless me, so that. Be kind to me, so that. I can bring glory to you. Our prayers ought to all be so that prayers. You want to pray for healing? Pray for healing. You want to pray for success? Pray for success. You want to pray for the victory? Pray for the victory. But pray so that. Lord, heal me so that. I can turn around and serve you and bring honor and glory to your name. Heal me so that I can sit down with my brother-in-law and I can tell him about your faithfulness and your love and I can share the gospel with him. Father, heal me so that, so that. We have to pray 
so that. I, I heard or read rather this week, one Bible teacher expressed it this way. He said, don't pray me for me, pray me for you. See, there's two ways you can, you can ask God for something. You can say, bless me for me, make me successful for me, make me healthy for me, make me strong for me, give me influence for me, or you can pray, bless me for you. Give me success so I can honor you. Give me health so I can honor you. See, it surprises me that Jesus would pray first for himself until I recognized that his prayer was a me for you. Bless me so that I can bless you. Honor me so that I can honor you. So here's how I want to wrap this up this morning. I want us to practice praying. Well, I don't want us to practice. I want us to pray. And, uh, you, you know, audience participation, nobody ever likes that. But just a little bit. I want us to pray. And I'm going to start us off, and then I'm going to let you pray. Silently, we're not going to practice the out loud part of prayer because it would just be a confusing mess. You can do that when you get home. We're going we're to pray silently. And you can bow your head and close your eyes. You can look up like Jesus did. You can raise your hand like Paul told Timothy to tell the men in the church of Ephesus. Um, probably not enough room for somebody to lay down on their face, but, but, but you pray how you want to pray that will honor the Lord. But here's the most important thing. I want you to pray me for you. Okay? I want you to ask the Lord for something. Bless me. And then I want you to tell the Lord why. So that I can then bring glory to you. And be specific. Pray me for you. Bless me for you. I'm going to start us off, then you're going to pray, and then I'm going to close this out. Father in heaven, I thank you that we can come boldly before the throne of grace. And Father, I'm hesitant to embrace that truth because I know I'm not worthy. And when I think about coming boldly before your throne, I think of my sin and my shortcomings. I think of my rebellion. I think of my bad attitudes. I I know I'm not worthy, but I'm reminded I come not for my merit, not based on who I am, but I come because of what Jesus has done. So I come boldly before the throne of grace. And I pray that you'll hear me because I come to you with all my heart, with all my body. I come to you and I, and, and, and I, and I ask you for something. But I ask not me for me, but I ask me for you me for you. So Father, listen to the prayers of your people as all across this campus and all of those who are worshiping from home, we all take a minute and we pray, me, bless me for you. You pray. Father, the most important value in the universe is that you would be honored. I pray that you'll bless us, that you'll bless the people in this church, that you bless us with health and strength and whatever you choose to bless us with, but that it all might be a tool that we use to turn around and bring honor and glory to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing.